Mother's Day to the moms, if I haven't greeted you with that. Um, there are so many things uh, to examine in Revelation chapter 17 is where we're going to be this evening. So um, if you want to turn there with me, um, <clears throat> we'll begin... All right. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll actually back up and just check a couple references in regard to where we're going to be in 17. If you want to just jump at 17, verse one, but we'll we'll put things in context with a couple of references from chapter 14 and 16. So let's pray, and then we'll take a look at this. Father, I thank you for your word. And I do pray that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit, make it possible for me to accomplish what you want to accomplish here this evening, the power of your Holy Spirit, that uh, we would get through uh, this chapter and uh, receive what you want to give us from uh, this passage. Guide us and bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So uh, it starts, Revelation chapter 17, verse 1, Then one of the seven angels who had seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. So uh, religious Babylon is judged. Uh, in uh, Revelation 18, we see uh, economic or commercial Babylon, uh, they overlap, uh, but here it, it seems to really be more concentrating on talking about um, religious Babylon. And we'll, we'll talk about how Babylon developed, what it is, uh, you know, how it exists, um, and uh, what it is we're looking at here. So I said, if we back up first to Revelation 16, and look at verse 19, it says, Now the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. The great, excuse me, and great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. If, if you back up into chapter 14 and look at verse 8, it says, another angel followed, <clears throat> saying Babylon is fallen, is fallen. It has that sense of Jesus saying, like, verily, verily, you know, like, truly, truly. Uh, but it's also uh, the idea of two separate instances, so, you know, fallen and fallen is sort of the attitude. So there's many ways to think about that. Um it could be the idea of Babylon is fallen spiritually and therefore will fall physically. You know, that sense. Uh, God warns Adam and Eve not to eat of the tree of the garden. And the English version simply tells us that he warned them, saying that in the day they ate of it, they would die. The, the Aramaic, which is translated into the Hebrew, 
seems to have said something more along the lines that if you eat of that tree in dying, you will die. So the spiritual death occurred instantaneously and ultimately led to their physical death is the implication. So here, um, again, I'll read the entirety of Revelation 14, verse 8. Another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. For the teachers that try to put Babylon on a particular city and say, that's the one right there. Well, it has to be a symbolism to some degree because not one city in all of world history has made all of the nations drink of the wrath of her fornication. So, so it has to be that we're, we're getting at least a degree of symbolism. You know, if you've read certain commentators and they want to say, you know, this particular city you know, is what's being referenced here. Okay, you know, we can accept that. There was a literal Babylon, you know, so okay, we we understand certain elements, but there's a greater symbolic implication in uh, what's being said here. So back to 17, looking at verse 1 again, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls. So just a little note that John recognizes him. Okay, so so it isn't, we shouldn't think of angels as being just impersonal sort of uh, spiritual beings, um, you know, symbolic or something. Uh, you know, you could almost get the sense that John is like, hey, I recognize you. <laughs> Did you have a bowl earlier in this thing? So he's seeing real tangible things that are taking place. And in that, he's describing to us, I mean, these beings have jobs and messages, and it's really a remarkable glimpse we're getting behind the curtain to see, you know, the, the spiritual kingdom, uh, you know, God's throne and in His presence. So, um, this one saying, uh, "Come and uh, excuse me," he came and talked with me, saying to me, "Come, I will show you." Now we've we've heard that a few times. Um, the book, uh, I really, I hope I relay to you how accessible Revelation is. Uh, we, we, we very much get the sense from, and I hate to say it, but a lot of Christianity presents prophecy in general and the book of Revelation especially as something that's like almost off limits. It's not knowable. It's scary. Uh, if you study it too much, You'll move to either Waco, Texas, or you know Wyoming, and build a ranch, and you know, and and obviously people have done that. They've, you know, I go down that road quite a bit. But anyway, I, you know, I mean, Jim Jones was off his rocker, uh, you know, just having a conversation with some people the other night about you know, oh, drinking the Kool Aid. Uh, you know, he was making people drink Kool Aid repeatedly. Uh, through the years, they were they thought it was poisoned. They were willfully practicing suicide until the day that they actually committed suicide. And he killed senators who had come to check on U.S. citizens that were living with him in Guyana. Their families were 
horribly worried and they went down there and uh, you know so I mean when your guy is demanding to be worshipped as God it's time to leave anyway you know long before the Kool-Aid comes out uh, you know my friend friend acquaintance from high school uh, David Bouchard uh, left Maine after we got out of high school was in Waco Texas in a music store met David Koresh went and became his drummer there at the compound lost his wife and daughter in the fire you know i mean it's 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 serious uh, enough that uh you know people do lead people astray but left to you alone in your bedroom with the holy spirit and your bible please read revelation a lot it's a wonderful book i mean it, it opens by telling us it's a revealing and anyone who reads it and anyone who hears it is going to be blessed in the process, okay? So I, I understand the gravity of the scary things that have happened. But, you know, take the assurance that this book will bless uh, you and your understanding. Here, the invitation, that, that really is a summary of Revelation. Come, I want to show you something. Let, let, me, let me introduce you to, to an understanding that that's a wonderful don't we all want that you look at the scripture and you're like boy i wish i knew more here's the invitation come and let me show you some things the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters now we get some quickly we get some explanations here so we don't have to really wonder about these things if you drop right down to verse 15 of this same chapter then he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. Right? Uh, so we don't have to wonder about what those, what were they symbolic? Yes, the passage tells us. A and what did they symbolize? Well, you just got the explanation right there. So this harlot, and it is as it sounds, she sells herself, and she sells herself for pleasure. Uh, so she she's um, giving herself over, we would more say in this sense, to humanity uh, for their pleasures for a price. So there's some in uh, you know some things to to look at within this. Uh, number one, global influence, okay? You know, we don't see these multitude of peoples and nations and tongues unless the Lord is talking about that level of um, uh, connection. Uh, one of the things about Revelation is it assumes uh, worldwide communication. You know, something that you know, was written 2,000 years ago is assuming that, uh, you know, all of the nations of the world will be able to see certain events all simultaneously. Uh, you know, in John's day, <clears throat> things literally would happen in one area of the world, and it would be years before another area of the world became aware of great ecological disasters or great political collapses or great economic changes. You know, suddenly, wait a minute, our money's no good? Well, I, you know, that government's been gone for years. I had no idea. You know, so, so you know, the... The, the way that Revelation speaks, we read it and we go, yeah, well, of course. Of course, you know, people are going to see these things happen all at the same time, in the same day, worldwide coverage. 
you know, it's strange to be in third world countries and see little kids with cell phones. You're saying, I mean, you know, you got stick shack that, I mean, if it rains, it's just, you're not going to be any drier inside than you are outside. And there's a satellite dish on the side of the thing. You know what I'm saying? It's really weird. Uh, the, the world culture and the way that it has affected John tells us things that assume this. That, that, you know, maybe not every villager has a television, but the whole village can gather around a television or a cell phone or, or whatever. So interesting foresight that the scripture uh, has here. So the global influence of uh, this last great religious system, okay? There have been great religious systems around the world throughout time, uh, you know, Christianity being one of them, but there have been others. And now we come to this last one that takes place. Now, this is before the Antichrist declares himself God and demands to be worshipped as God. So it's going to kind of, uh, you know, bookend into one another. The, the, this system is going to develop and draw people into it, and we'll look at some explanation here. And then once everybody's sort of like on board, you know, cooperative to a degree, then Antichrist is going to grab a hold of it and shift it over to, yeah, by the way, I'm the one you're supposed to be worshiping is sort of the image that we're going to get here. So verse 2, continuing, uh, with whom, so this harlot, upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Now let me just start here by saying that many throughout the history of Christianity have made this to be Roman Catholicism. And and I, I just want to say up front, I don't, I'm not trying to be offensive, that to a large degree, it, it is true, and it fits, okay? Um, many of the people inside Roman Catholicism, uh, you know, are perhaps sincere believers to which I would say they need to exit. <laughs> you know, if you truly are surrendered to Jesus, uh, you're in the wrong camp. Uh, people get offended with me for saying these types of things, but, you know, the... The wickedness that permeates, even within the worship, right? I mean, we, we can look at child molestation and the priesthood and a number of things along the way and say, oh, isn't that horrible? Yes, but, but just the idolatry and the doctrine and the dogma that, that, you know, no one, no Christian should be praying to Mary, right? We have one mediator between God and man, and it is the man Christ Jesus. So, so there are clarifying elements in the scripture that love all those people you know i don't it's not like i have an animosity towards them but at the same time i don't have some soft-handed approach to oh we got to be especially careful because they're christians too you know there might be christians amongst them and they need to come out and experience uh, the freedom and the joy and the fulfillment and the departure from the things that pollute it so heavily. Are you saying Calvary Chapel's perfect? No. You know, I mean, it's, it, you know, there are so many flaws in all 
of the denominations. I'm not implying that in, in any way, okay? Uh, what I'm saying is, to whatever degree we recognize that what our you know what is in our hands as our our Christian faith our belief system where we go oh that's wrong it's time to put that away and be done with it and to move forward in correct and proper worship of Jesus Christ so now I'll get the emails anyway um, the kings of the earth committed fornication the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Just take um, uh, religion in general, like the very generic sense of man's religions, and think about the, the overwhelming message being um, basically like, I'm okay and you're okay. Like, I'll approve of you and you approve of me and we'll all make it. You know, whatever path you want to take, that's fine. You know, Jesus... You know, in contrast, says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. And and just think about how intoxicating that sense of everything's okay. <laughs> you know, lull humanity into uh, this state as they careen towards literally hell. Just just soothe the people with that sense. This This is what Stalin meant when he said that religion is the opiate of the masses. Okay, you can sedate people with religion. You know, guilty conscience, you know, the things you're doing are horrible and you, you're being racked with guilt. Go get a dose of religion. You know, soothe your mind and your conscience. You don't ever have to surrender. You don't ever have to be crushed and let the Lord have his way with your whole life. Just, you know, do your sort of penance somewhere. Religion and the kings of the earth fornicated is literally the disgusting imagery uh, that uh, we're being presented with. So he carried me away in the spirit. Now, um, this is... <laughs> um, much like what John said in uh, chapter 4, where I was caught up in the Spirit unto the day of the Lord. Um, we shouldn't think of it as uh, I was being especially spiritual. It is the sense of by the Spirit, I was transported from one location to another location. Through time, through space. Through matter, I was here, and then I was there, is, is the idea that's being presented. The word the is not there following. It is significant. I, you know, he uh, carried me away in the spirit into wilderness, is the idea. Into the wilderness um, gives you the impression that it's a particular location, right? Here we think deep in the woods. Not how the Middle East thinks of it. Uh, that's like finding yourself on the top of some sand dune and you do a 360 and there's nothing but more sand dunes in sight as far as you can see. That's the sense of wilderness to them. Uh, we would be better to think of it as a place of absolute isolation. However you want to uh, picture that he's taken physically 
by the Spirit into wilderness is what's being uh, said. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Um, you know, I, I think of some of the names of churches or, or those that claim to be part of the church that, that are blasphemous. You know, uh, you know, Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints. Not Church of Jesus Christ. Not Latter-day Saints, okay? They aren't part of the Christian faith, regardless of you know what Glenn Beck tries to convince you of. They are not part of Christianity at all. I won't chase down that road, but that is actually a blasphemous name. You don't belong to Christianity, and you are not saints. If you've got the wrong impression about saints, right? that's not a super class of Christians. We here tonight gathered around the word of God, worshiping Jesus and searching his scripture, are saints, right? Those that have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are the saints of God. We bear that name respectfully, not blasphemous. You know, universalist Unitarians, you know, the church, not church, right? Church implies followers of Jesus Christ. Um, you know, they don't even really claim to have any connection to Christianity. You go hang out in their groups, and if you tell them you're a born-again Christian, they'd like you to leave. Okay? So, you know, again, so wherever these titles of groups and organizations and systems of religious worship attach to themselves, names, which are in fact blasphemous, that's the concept here. This, this woman is on a beast that has all these titles and names attached to it, which are false, blasphemous, wrong, erroneous in every sense of the idea. So here he sees the scarlet beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The beast has the seven heads and ten horns, just so we're clear. The harlot does not. She wouldn't be in business long if she had seven heads and ten horns. You know what I'm saying? That would freak people out. Not even religiously, right? I mean, if, if it's a scary, frightening thing, people don't want to associate themselves with it. If she's luring people in to fornicate with her, then she's going to have an attractiveness. The beast is the ugly thing. And we see it described elsewhere. If we wonder what it is, Revelation chapter 12, verse 3, another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, seven diadems or crowns on his head. So that's Revelation 12, verse 3. Drop down in the chapter 12, verse 9. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceived the whole world and was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Turn the page and get to Revelation chapter 13, verse 1. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his head a blasphemous name. So we've seen this beast a few times, 
and had this description, and it has this sense of being Satan or at least having direct influence and direct line from Satan. Um, you know, representation, imagery, uh, you know, symbolism, uh, pretty safe to say, you know, Lucifer, Satan uh, here. The woman, harlot, religious system, seated upon, riding upon this devilish creature, luring the leadership of the world into, we have to assume, religious fornication with her. Label that any way you want to, right? I think we all have touched different religious systems that do that very thing. They appeal to the people of the world without developing any relationship with Christ. They draw people in and they sedate them and they lure them and just... I. I had an invitation years ago to go be part of a church softball league. And uh, not much into that kind of thing, but, you know, want to be around other Christians and such. And, you know, then discover that they drink more alcohol than any group of people I ever hung out with in the past. Like, no joke. And And the sad thing is is this group's from that church, and that group's from this church, and this group's from that church, and that pastor's from that church, and that pastor's from... And they're all hanging out. None of them is legal to drive home. And they're all comfortable with this. You know, I can tell you, as someone who the Lord delivered from drugs and alcohol, I'm, I'm like, astonished you know, at this behavior. And when I even raise the question, oh, the fury that comes back, they have all found a way in their religion, in their churches, in their fellowship, that they're extremely comfortable with that. And I'm just trying to say to them, like, guys, how in the world do you go into public to participate in this sport and draw people to Christ doing this. And, and, you know, they just, I, I was, you know, self-righteous hypocrite to them. And they wanted me to leave. And just, okay. There's a lot of what calls itself Christianity that has made tremendous compromises and found ways to be involved with nothing but worldly things. So here, this beast this, you know, person, as we're seeing here, you know, he has this system, the influence of Satan that is behind his kingdom that is involved in this. And now, 17, 1 through 3, the great harlot sitting on the scarlet beast, having seven heads and ten horns. She's, as we said, resting on, riding on the Antichrist system. So, so this Antichrist system, right? John said Antichrist's already gone out in the world. Spirit of Antichrist already in the world. Now it's solidified. And you can just kind of look into one location and say, oh, there it is. And this religion has found her resting place, her, her motivation, her movement, her power upon it, upon this Antichrist system. Yeah, we 
didn't read Revelation 13, verse 11, that I saw another beast, you know, a second beast, that is the false prophet, coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns. So you've got seven head, ten horn. Now you've got another beast that's coming up that incorporates in here. He has two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. I, I mean, you know, you, you, so you've got the system and then you've actually got a representative who is now on the scene and you look at him and think, preacher. And, and the minute he opens his mouth, you go, oh, no, not at all. You know, there's, there's a frightening thing there. You know, again, people are upset with me when I mention names, but deal with it. Um, you know, Reverend Jesse Jackson, right? Reverend. Irreverend, you know, the Reverend Al Sharpton, you know, the irreverend. They just, you know, every time they open their mouth and speak, you, you go, oh, okay, now, you know, you know, I was fooled. You had the collar, you looked the part. I thought, I thought you were a lamb, and now I, I your your voice, your language, your speech is directly out of hell. I get it. I know who you are. Be, be aware. Whenever that happens, right? doesn't matter how polished and shiny and perfectly Christian the outside is. When the mouth opens and hell just belches out, just run away. You know what you're dealing with, right? This is what Jesus was saying when the religious leaders were all upset because the disciples were not washing their hands. And they're like, you're defiling yourselves. And Jesus makes that statement about it's not what goes into a man that defiles him. It's what comes out. It's what comes out of our mouth and what comes out of our behavior that proves what's in our heart. So, you know, so it is with the beast. So it is with the dragon. So it is with the harlot. Whatever degree it may look like, Christianity, it's not. Verse 4 the woman who's arrayed in purple and scarlet. This is one of the key indicators for the scholars of yesteryear who insisted this is the Roman Catholic Church. And again, I agree to some degree it is. Okay, uh, <clears throat> those are the colors of the Roman Catholic Church. You know, their their cardinals, their priests, their vestments. Purple and scarlet is there, and they are adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, right? Having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. Um, don't often recommend secular movies. I'll recommend Christian movies or documentaries, things of that nature. But <clears throat> if you get the opportunity to see the movie Spotlight, um, uh, Michael Keenan is in it. Um, it it's about the um, Boston Globe column known as Spotlight and they are a group of investigative journalists and they are the ones who broke the story about the um, the Catholic diocese in Boston and their molestation of children the priest molestation of children and in particular what was most egregious about that was Cardinal Law, who oversaw all of that district, um, they proved through their investigation that he was aware that that was all going on. Uh, what's most egregious is that in the 60s, 
the organization as a whole had analyzed their own priesthood and they came to the conclusion that they were creating this problem with their their conclusion was that by their doctrine they were creating this problem in the church that by not allowing priests to marry and have families that they have a sexual compulsion that they look for an outlet in and and well hear this though they're sitting in the confessional listening Two people tell them their filthiest inner thoughts. So now these priests have a head full of this stuff and a compulsion that they already want to act out and they begin to take advantage of these people. And then when it generates in those young people sinful sexual behavior, they then tell them, your only answer is to enter the priesthood. Because God forbids you to have these sinful compulsions and you're not allowed to pursue them. Uh, so you have to enter the priesthood and find purity in that. And so they enter the priesthood and start the cycle all over again. So much so they knew it that they, they actually had calculated the percentages and knew how many priests in any given area would be molesting children. They could literally say how many priests are in the district and if they tell them there are 1,200 priests, then they tell them you're going to find 68 priests in the district that are molested. They, they know that for certain. So they know the whole problem, and they not only don't do anything about it, they perpetuate it. They shuffle them around. They, they can literally protect them against prosecution because, here's the thing, right? they are ambassadors of another country. The Vatican is another country. Right, And they have been adopted into the Vatican, and so they can literally remove them from whatever location they're in and put them in another country. They have immunity in the process. They had developed a whole system of lawyers that would handle the situations, and, and they had a cap on their payouts where if it, if it came down to it and they were in the corner, then they would pay out $50,000 per occasion. It was sick. Twisted, literal fornication, sexual sin. You know, I'm not saying it to just drag them through the mud. I'm saying repent of the doctrine. You know what I'm saying? Let your priests get married. Expel the ones that, uh, you know, behave this way. Purify the ministry through the word of God. You know, I mean, read Titus and Timothy. Paul said that, that your, your pastors, your ministers should be married, have one wife, raise children, let their children be an example to the church. Right? Paul, Paul warns Timothy and says in the last days, men will come teaching the doctrines of devils. Think about this. In the last days, men will come teaching doctrines of devils, forbidding people to marry and teaching them to abstain from foods during Lent. and during... <laughs> It's weird that they're doing it and don't even recognize how against God's word and how blatantly the Lord has warned. You know, I pray that people that hear this message will, will come to Christ. Not, not, not necessarily this church. Come to this church, you know, if you need to, but, you know, come to Christ. Depart from the bondage here. They have this cup full 
of the filthiness of her fornication, and on her forehead a name was written. Now, there's some debate amongst the scholars about is this written upon her head, her forehead? We think is it tattooed upon her so that she has a, a label she can't remove? Probably, not that it really makes a difference or that we even care, but it's probably um, in... John's day, they wore a sash or they wore a headband that bore either their title as a prostitute or their name as a prostitute upon their forehead. They, they doctored themselves up with wigs and makeup so much that often they were not recognizable as who they were, so they would bear their name upon it. So John is probably just seeing this translation over into the spiritual of, you know, it's sort of like the Lord saying, like, you know, literal harlots like this one has, you know, her name upon her forehead, too. And and what is her name? Mystery. Notice comma. Babylon the Great, comma. So that solves the mystery. <laughs> She's a mystery. But what is she? She is Babylon the Great. I want you to dwell on that as we move forward. This harlot and her fornication are concentrated around the idea of mystery Babylon. And you go, yeah, I've read it a million times. I get it. Good. Well, we'll move forward and see how this unfolds from the scripture. So mystery Babylon, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. So the Lord's putting this all in a religious context. Okay. There, there is quite clearly the blatant sexual aspect to fornication and what's being described. But, but here, he really piles it up on the idea of religion and, and wants us to look at it that way. So, Babylon. Note takers. Six times in the book of Revelation, uh, uh, Babylon is mentioned. <coughs> Six is the number of carnal man. We were created on the sixth day, right? The unholy trinity uh, of uh, the the beast, the antichrist, the, the, the devil, antichrist, the false prophet, 666, uh, given to us there. We have that sense. Six chapters on Babylon in the entire Bible. Six whole chapters. There's... Minor reference we'll talk about from Genesis 10, but whole chapters discussing uh, Babylon and what it is. There are six of them contained in the Bible. Isaiah 13 and 14, and then Jeremiah 50 and 51, and then here, Revelation 17 and 18. Interestingly, Isaiah 13 and Jeremiah 50 describe a destruction to Babylon that has never taken place physically. Okay, Babylon fell into ruin. It was abandoned. It disintegrated to a large degree. became a place of archaeological research. But it wasn't as described by Isaiah 13 and Jeremiah 50. It was never attacked, overthrown, and destroyed the way it's depicted there. Point is, there's a day coming. There's, there's still a time. Okay, well... Then you go, wait a minute, Babylon isn't in existence. 
as a city in Iraq the way it was in the past. So then you have to go, okay, that must mean <coughs> that God is going to attack and destroy what has become Babylon. How Babylon has been dispersed throughout the world and the nations, God is going to have his day with all of that. And then if you think back, what we've already seen God unleashing on the earth, you kind of go, oh, it's like in process right now. Like we've, we've sort of taken this pause to see what's happening here. So <clears throat> as we look forward to this, uh, I uh, would also recommend to you, if you get the opportunity, the prices vary on Amazon and a couple other locations, but Dr. William F. Albright wrote uh, the book called The Tale of Two Cities. Uh, so that those are those are going to be uh, useful to you if you uh, get the I said uh, Albright Albright is another reference. It was Alexander Hislop. So if you get the opportunity uh, to get the two Babylons, uh, still available, relatively short. I would I would even say it was a booklet, but extremely beneficial to uh, knowing uh, what's going on with the history of Babylon. So. Biblically, Genesis chapter 10, start at verse 8, uh, you, you get what has been described as you know an unparalleled accuracy in the description of the nations. Hey, Oliver, would you mind going up and letting them know that they're transmitting that down through to us? Um, probably just Lori, like, you know, being busy or something. But, um, <clears throat> so... Uh, Genesis chapter 10 has been used by archaeologists all over the world to go and find and research and dig nations uh, as to where they're described. So uh, no more accurate uh, historical documentation regarding the nations and the development of the nations uh, anywhere. You can't, you can't find anything like it. In the midst of that, Genesis chapter 10 Beginning at verse 8, it says, Cush begot Nimrod. Now, the name Nimrod means to rebel. Okay? You know, you've maybe you've had that slung at you, you know, and you don't be a Nimrod, or what a Nimrod, or, you know, I don't know. But anyway, it means to rebel and be in rebellion. By definition, that's what the word means. That's what the name means. So, continuing Genesis 10, verse 8, he began to be a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter, according to the original language, that by definition meant of the souls of men. So, he isn't just out, you know, looking for trophy elk, he's a killer, he's brutal. And when the next word is before, which means defiantly before. Have you ever uh, had to deal with a teenager and uh, they stand before you? You know what I'm saying? That's the idea. It is in rebellion, they defiantly are before you. So when we read the way this is, Cush begot a rebel who began to be a mighty one on the earth. 
he was a hunter of the souls of men defiantly before the Lord. That's quite a, a summary of a man's life, to say the least. Uh, continuing there, because this is we're, we're talking about Babylon. This is where Babylon begins. This is where it finds its origin. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. So that that would be again an insult slung at somebody. You know, you want to stay away from that guy. He's like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. He's dangerous, rebellious, destructive, murderous. Don't have anything to do with him is the idea. In the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. Okay? Now, Babel, there are a few words in the scripture that have like dual definitions and they are sort of like the antithesis of one another. You know, Jezebel is one of those, you know, names, you know, like like wisdom and dunghill. You know, it's like, like I don't know what that's about. You know, the, the idea of how opposed they are. So it is with Babel. Um, because the, the two definitions, and, and they are both accurate, is one is confusion, right? You, you know, you say that, right? I tried to talk to somebody. It was just Babel. You know, I couldn't make it out. The cell phone was all broken up. It was just Babel. We know that definition of confusion. It's also, by definition, means the gate of God. Okay, Nimrod was building that ziggurat, that tower, that spiraling tower, filling it with all of the writings of the world that men and women could educate themselves with, saying, by educating ourselves with all this wisdom, we will become gods. We, we will elevate ourselves. We will reach heaven is how it is written. You know, gate of God, entry point to becoming God is the idea. Confusion, gate, gate, of, gate of God confusion. <laughs> it's really a pretty accurate definition that these people were that messed up in their thinking process. So... I'll, keep, I'll try to keep us to time. Maybe we'll have to end short. But uh, just a number of things about Babylon and where it comes from I want to try to get through. Again, Hislop's book, The Two Babylons, take a look at that. Now, Nimrod and uh, Babylon give birth to this antagonistic system of religion that is opposed to God. So humanity has, you got creation. And the development of even wickedness that moves along, but you come to Nimrod, and at that point, a an organized religion is developed that is opposed to God. Now, now we're going to set our face against you, and we're going to build a method by which we can become gods ourselves. And essentially, it's the same message that Lucifer has, right? I will exalt myself above your throne. That mindset enters into humanity's organized religion. So, boom, Babylon is born in the moment. Religiously, Babylon is born in that. God predicted that, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, as he's pronouncing the curses upon Adam, Eve, and the serpent. He says, I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman, and between 
your seed, the serpent's offspring, and her seed, singular, one, capital S, seed, meaning Jesus. And it is so interesting because the woman doesn't bear the seed. Man does. But Eve gives birth without the involvement of a man. So her seed becomes the salvation of humanity. And the conflict between everything that Satan has been capable of birthing is met at the cross by Jesus Christ, where he crushes the head of that serpent and in the process bruises his heel in uh, so doing. So with that, inside Babylon, you have Semiramis is Nimrod's wife. And they generate this teaching that Semiramis was struck by divine light and caused to become pregnant and gave birth to Tammuz. Now, if you're thinking like, I don't care to be in an ancient history class, okay, you will as we examine this. So Semiramis giving birth to Tammuz, all the imagery you've ever seen of this is a woman clothed in you know th different ways. If it's painted, they depict her as being like shrouded in light, and that's supposed to be the divine light that is upon her. She and her infant child, Tammuz, both have halos, which is to symbolize the... Uh, you know, divine light that caused Tammuz to be born. Um, if you're thinking, oh, I, I, I have seen this, but I thought it was more like Mary and Jesus. Now you understand where I'm going with this, okay? So this starts in Babel with Nimrod, Tammuz, and Semiramis. The first uh, real religious activity emerges from the myth that Tammuz, as he was older, was gored to death by a boar. So a wild pig killed him, and he was dead for 40 days. And Semiramis mourned the loss of her son for 40 days, but then the same divine light that had given birth caused him to be resurrected in the spring of the year, and, and they would then kill the boar and have ham dinner and exchange colorfully painted eggs with one another in the beginning of the year to celebrate uh, Semiramis, who was the goddess of fertility. The egg symbolized her fertility. And, and they, they would, would uh, paint pictures and even give one another bunnies, you know, because they reproduce so rapidly. And that was clearly a blessing of Semiramis, who, you know, was the goddess of fertility. So clearly she was the one causing all of these bunnies to emerge in the spring of the year. You know, maybe you're finding some similarities in all of this. That religion of worshiping Semiramis and Tammuz and Nimrod, right? Because Nimrod is saying, 
we need to get rid of God and replace it with our own belief system, this Babylonian system emerges from that. And uh, you think, well, okay, it was isolated in the ancient world. Well, just as I describe it to you, you know that it's in your own neighborhood, right? And it's in your own Walmart every year as it's going around. Babylon is still here symbolically, religiously, right? And, and, and even, right, we're going to turn the page and get into the economic aspects of Babylon, right? So the religious system rolls back and forth. The kings of the earth, right? What are the kings of the earth concerned about? Money, right? So religion rolls into money in this whole process. It's really quite remarkable. So as you move through this whole process, the, the imagery and the carvings you know, of, of her holding the child you move over to Egypt and, and you find Isis and Osiris, mother and child, divine light and miraculous birth. You go to Syria and you find Ishtar and Tammuz. Ishtar, right? Does it sound like Easter to you? Right? This is where this all is like intermingled and emerging from and going to. So you say, oh, well, we've sort of purified. We have. Christianity has. Okay? But the intermingling is remarkable. The way that it's just tainting everything. It doesn't stop there. Much later in Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar has uh, Ishtar, the mother of the earth, and Tamu, the divine child. So all of these cultures have all of the same false teachings in them. In Persia, Ishtar again. Ashtart and Ashtoreths begin there, and Baal and Tammuz uh, are you know, part of that system. In Persian Empire and in Greece, <coughs> you might have heard of them in your history classes, even described as Aphrodite and Yeros being described there. No, uh, uh, you probably made it to Rome with your understanding and experienced Venus and Cupid, her child. Okay, <clears throat> so the, the, the Babylonian falsehood of the worship, uh, and here's the thing, the worship of sex, right? There is a reason that uh, Playboy magazine chose the bunny as their symbol, okay? It's the same fertility. It's the same sensuality. It's the same rejection of God and the elevating of you know our most base instincts in, in, in our culture. Fornication, and now look at how it's permeated the church. Look, look at the way it's tainted so many things in our culture. It's really, really tragic. I don't mean to go off in another total weird direction, but I... One of the things when I counsel young couples that are about to get married, and if this hurts any of you, I apologize beforehand. <clears throat> uh, birth control. And if you're like, oh, here we go. Follow me in this. <clears throat> the only, I'll try to say this as carefully and delicately as I can. The only method of birth control that does not violate life is barrier method. Okay. Actually preventing the seed from connecting with the egg. Uh, young couples I've, I've counseled recently being told 
by their pastors, by their doctors. No, no, you know, IUD or this device or that thing uh, doesn't allow for the egg to be fertilized. It does 100% of the time. What it does is it tricks the female body into entering into her regular menstrual cycle. So, so even though the egg has been fertilized and even, even though it may have implanted in the uterine wall, the body sheds the lining and thereby gets rid of a fertilized egg. We, we as a culture, ha, ha, again, I talked about this recently, <clears throat> you know, our culture wants the pleasure of sex. Guess what? God wanted the church to have the pleasure of sex. But he also wanted the children that result. Okay, so so if you if you are planning a family and you're saying I don't want to have any more children, God's not upset with that concept. Okay, but but be careful about listening to the world as to how, how to go about that process, because it literally may be uh, you know that life is being conceived and your body's rejecting it, and conception and rejection and conception and rejection are happening over and over again. If you're thinking, well, you know. It's really not that big of an issue, and it's so early on. Well, here's the thing. When the female body goes into that mode of, of hey, conception, all kinds of things turn on. We're going to get ready. There's going to be a child here. We're going to be prepared. No, not. Okay. Shut down, change, reverse chemistry, alter. You know, Look at the statistics on how high the percentage of breast cancer is amongst women that are using these forms of contraception. And they're saying like, well, it doesn't have anything to do with the contraception. Well, maybe it doesn't. But see, the mammary gland is directly associated with birth. It's going to be needed for the coming child. And that gets activated and then shut down and then activated and shut down. You start messing with the human body, bad things happen, right? You know, you're thinking like, wow, you really did go down the rabbit trail. But, you know, um, you know, back to subject here, society's worship of the sensual, right? Now jump forward to what Paul is warning his young pastors about. Men will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. This is the culture we're in. It's just everywhere, permeated, seething around us. You really do have to, like, well, gouge out your eye, you know, in order to get rid of this garbage. It's, it's a horrendous thing that has happened as humanity has gone this direction. So I got five minutes, so we'll go a little further, all right? Um, so we made it all the way through the introduction to this Babylonian system at verse 6 I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus and when I saw her I marveled with great amazement and it is just like it sounds <coughs> it's it's like a grotesque astonishment uh, you really need to take that picture in imagine you know it's 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 always kind of jolting to come upon somebody who's like blasted out of their mind, intoxicated. <laughs> I mean, 
you're stone cold sober. Let's say it's the middle of the afternoon and somebody staggers into you, just bombed. And you're like, wow, you know, poor soul is wrecked and ruined. And, and then you realize that what has made them drunk is the blood of the saints. You know, what's in the cup is the blood of the martyrs. Imagine how grotesque that would be for you. Imagine how jolting and vile that would be to realize. You know, that lighthearted, celebratory, foolish, drunken, stupid attitude just, you know, reeling around. And, and what what's doing is the wine of the blood from the saints. That's tragic, horrifying, just ghastly to think about. What what is going on in this image here? And when, so when he says he marveled at great amazement, it's that it's that idea of ghastly astonishment, the realization of what he's seeing. Here uh, we'll get a little bit of this next section. The angel said to me, "Why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and the beast that carries her, which has seven heads and ten horns." The tyrants of the earth have always used religion. Always. They, they, they use it in their favor, manipulation, control, victimization, any way they can. They're constantly using that to manipulate. No. How, ma how many politicians have you seen standing on the pulpit with the most famous preacher that they can get next to them? Right? It's a manipulation. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. That, that is punishment, but it's a more general sense of, of like wastefulness. You know, um, you know I, I, years ago I had a young friend who <coughs> received a massive cash settlement uh, from an accident that he had been in. And there were a handful of us around saying, like, you know, where you are in life, like the best thing you could possibly do is invest that in a home for yourself. Get get housing. Like, erase that from the rest of your life. You know what I'm saying? You were, you're, here you are, and you'll never have to pay for housing again. You know? And just poured it right down the drain. You know, like many of us around them were like pulling our hair out, like, what? You know, why couldn't that have been me? I would have, you know, saying I would have invested the resources at Satan's disposal in the throne room of God, such power and influence, just poured out, just wasted. The son of perdition, the wastefulness. You know, this this beast that you're seeing, you know, he's going to come out of the bottomless pit and go into wastefulness, dissipation, just nothingness. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they, when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. You know, there is this sense, right, because we talked about the injury that is delivered to the head and how it rises up after this injury. There's that sense of marveling, but it's also what I just described, the sense of, oh, why did you waste all of that? How could you have been in the presence of the Lord 
and and you know probably been the worship leader in the presence of the Lord and you flushed it away you know how in the how in the world did you ever you were a created being why did you ever think you were going to be able to overthrow your creator this doesn't even make any sense the world is going to marvel at, at at the glory and the majesty and the rise and then the dissipation and the fall and the, you know the judgment what 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 is that they're going to be astonished in the process here is the mind which has wisdom the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits now this is one of the biggest indicators that the scholars use to say this has to be wrong the seven hills that uh, the Vatican sits upon are clearly you know, that's it. That's got to be it. Well, unfortunately, the Greek language is very specific about mountains, not hills, not rolling hills. So I'd like to agree with them, and it's possible that we should, but there's also key indicators that tell us that's probably not what we're looking at here. It may stem from, develop out of, be completely integrated with the Roman Catholic system, but it's probably more to do with the powers that we're talking about. The mountains that we're talking about, seven peaks of power might be a better way to say that. So, you know, as we move into this next uh, section, there are some things to consider. I will point this out in address addressing a prayer gathering of uh, Christians, Muslims, Jews, Buddhists, many other forms of religion. Pope John Paul II told participants that their efforts were unleashing a profound spiritual energy in the world and bringing about a new climate of peace. You've noticed how peace has swept the world you know, especially this week, you know, and in the past year. <laughs> Just wonderful, isn't it? Uh, you know, the, the deception of the religious leaders of the world is pretty remarkable. So, verse 10, these are also seven kings. Five have fallen. So, do you, do you understand why I'm saying powers? It says seven mountains. These are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. So five have fallen refers to five world empires before John's day, right? Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persian, and Greece. We, we hopefully have all studied Daniel and seen Nebuchadnezzar's vision and the statue and then Daniel's interpretation. So we we get that understanding. One, right, that is, refers to the world empire of John's day, Rome, right? But what do we know about that Roman empire and the vision and the statue, right? Iron mixed with clay. Right? You get that dual strength and incredible weakness at the same time in the situation, which will cause that dramatic collapse, crumbling, and change. So when he comes, he must continue a short time. This seventh will quickly be taken over by an eighth and uh, will become the state of the Antichrist. Revelation 
1711, the beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition, wastefulness. So I'd like to move forward, but the next parts really are expansive and I would just be like racing to try to accomplish what I want to uh, relay to us there. So, <clears throat> you know, we'll we'll take the, the second half and maybe even get into 18 uh, next week. Uh, if, if we do, we're almost assuredly going to break off somewhere in 18 uh, also because it's such a dense uh, understanding there, a lot of reaching back into the Old Testament. But, uh, you know, I would say not all that difficult uh, when, when you consider all of the work that scholars have done and the things we, we can know and do understand. Uh, even the misinterpretations help us to have better interpretations today. As we've seen people step forward and say, you know, 100 years ago, this definitely symbolizes that. And then as that evaporates from the scene and is no more, everybody's going, okay, so it can't be that or anything like that. So what is it going to be? And more and more we let the scripture interpret the scripture. Summary is <clears throat> great religious system established in the ancient world, the likes of which is just, you know, spread through everything in the world around us that is going to be judged by God. How about this? All that I discussed regarding the sexuality and the fornication, and I'll try to close with this, the church is struggling with legalism in Acts 15, and they have the Jerusalem Council. And, and, and the, the summary of question is, what are we going to require of these Gentiles? Do they have to become Jewish in order to become Christian? And the answer comes from the Holy Spirit. We're going to require two things. They need to stay away from idolatry and fornication. That's the summary of what we were just talking about, right? Idolatry and fornication. Stay away from Babylon. You know, at all costs, keep yourself pure. You know, I, I wouldn't want to say religiously. That's difficult, right? But James did tell us pure religion undefiled is this, that you would care for the widow and the orphan, right? Keep yourself unspotted from the world. That fornication and that idolatry, are the things that need to be most prominent as far as us protecting our own hearts. Does that make sense for this evening? So, All right, we'll pick up at 12 next week. Why don't we pray, and then we'll spend some time in fellowship. Father, I thank you for your love. Lord, thank you for your grace. Really, and that's we have to measure those two together. We wouldn't know your love without your grace. You've just overlooked and wiped away and embraced and cared for and nurtured us. Thank you so much. Please bless us and keep us, Lord, that we would care for one another and be in fellowship with one another. And perform your work. Spread your kingdom. Make disciples of all men. We want to see your will accomplished in us and through us and by us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.